My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that... I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Good morning. Today's guest is Maria Boys. She has a degree from the Newhouse School of Communications at Syracuse University and has written for newspapers and magazines across the country. She also received a master's degree in psychology and an EDS in school psychology from Seton Hall University, having worked as a school psychologist in several school districts in New Jersey. Marie and her husband have raised three terrific children, and when not working on their old Victorian home, they spend their free time volunteering for various organizations within their community. I invited Maria to be on the podcast today to talk about her experience with her breast cancer diagnosis. At the time, she had a young daughter who was eight and two older teenaged sons. So welcome, Maria. Thank you so much for coming on to the Morning Meeting podcast today. Well, thanks for having me, Mandy. No, you're welcome. Um, so it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I thought um, it would be a great month to talk with you. Um, I was hoping you'd be able to share your story a little bit. And, um, you know, thankfully, your story has a good ending at this point. So, um, but I'd love to hear a little bit about what was happening when you were diagnosed and um, and how you were dealing with your kids. Yeah, um, it does have a good ending at this point. I, uh, mm-hmm. This month, uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, October, is 10 years since I was diagnosed. Wow. And I truly could not picture me being here um, at the time once I became uh, diagnosed with stage three and um, realizing that it is, you know, uh, it's the second most common cancer in the U.S., uh, second only to skin cancer, and one in eight women uh, will develop it during their lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I feel that that was always statistics that I heard in the ether, but never really applied to me. And sure. so, so it, it so it took a while to even understand that this was something I should take seriously. I, I mean, I certainly went to my went to the doctors. I went through all of the treatment. I had four months of chemo. I had thirty three days of radiation, um, and I had. Uh, double mastectomy surgery. And, uh, and one of the things that struck me as I was going through that, um, that whole first year was that the treatment for cancer really hasn't changed historically uh, for decades. Mm-hmm. It's always been poison, you know, uh, with the chemo and the medication, although the medication has changed somewhat. That is really what they're doing to the cancer cells. Sure. And then burn the tumor with the radiation and then, and then cutting it out with, with surgery. So, so the whole thing was really a, a horrific and barbaric and confusing. And uh, as I said, a lot of statistics and numbers. I had no one in my family that had been diagnosed with breast cancer. I eventually um, tested for the gene and I did not have it. But um, I realized that there was, you know, I, I thought I did everything right, so to speak. I had gone for my mammogram every single year since I had turned 40. I was diagnosed at 48, and I still got it. Yeah. And I got, I got it a lot, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had 
Um, so one of the messages, so there are a number of uh, reasons that I, I thought I really did want to be here. And, and one of the things was to um, let people know that, you know, uh, if you, particularly if you have dense breasts, but uh, even if you don't, to really check with your doctor regarding, even if you are getting your mammograms every year, because mammograms uh, historically don't always catch cancer early, very early enough. And, um, and in fact, there's an organization called areyoudense.org that mm -hmm. highlights, uh, it was started by this woman who had gotten a clean mammogram uh, a month prior to being diagnosed with stage three uh, with a you know, a large tumor that had spread. Wow. So, so um, I guess the second reason that I thought I, I really, uh, in, in addition to really liking what you're doing, Mandy, and I think you're, it's doing a terrific job, I'm so happy to see it, um, is to be able to reach out to people. Mm -hmm. Because because I didn't know anyone at the time, I was desperate to talk to people that that had had cancer and survived, and in particularly breast cancer. I found myself asking strangers, "What you know? Well, where was it? And what what stage? And how many you know tumors? Or just really personal uh, questions. Oftentimes, as women are pregnant, and they'll ask each other those questions. Right. Uh, there is a sisterhood that no one wants to be a part of, but suddenly when you are, you are, um, it's particularly helpful to talk to people that have gone through it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so people did put me in touch with, uh, with other women that had gone through it. And I also, uh, after a few years started volunteering at reach for recovery through the American cancer society that does just that. It, puts newly diagnosed patients, women, in touch with uh, women who have been diagnosed and ha who have uh, lived through it uh, mm -hmm. to talk on the phone or in person or to have coffee. And and that's very helpful as well. Yeah. I'm thinking 48 is very young to be diagnosed with breast cancer. You had mm. kids. Were you looking to talk to other people with young children at home? So we are women and we are mothers. And we are wives, we are daughters, and we are naturally nurturing. So I do have three kids. My, you know, my primary focus at the time was my eight-year-old daughter who was um, still at home. My older sons were, um, one was, had just turned 18 and the other one was 19 or 20. He was a sophomore in college. And uh, I have talked to them. We talked because... I, you know, although occasionally we'll we'll talk about what happened, they weren't necessarily going through it as much with me as they were perhaps alone. Mm -hmm. And and, um, and so I said to them, you know, I'm going to be doing this uh, this podcast, and I and I realized that the focus is college students. So I wanted to, you know, just kind of get their thoughts, things that we've talked about in the past, but I said, just jot down a few, you know, words and, and, uh, and let me know what you, you know, you were thinking. Mm -hmm. And so my younger son, uh, had said, and, and he's talked to me about this before, but he said, you know, to be perfectly honest, I don't even remember the exact conversation when you told me you were diagnosed. Uh, the details of that time are fuzzy for me now. 
what I remember most is how I felt about it overall. I was kind of numb. I knew you were trying to be strong, so being upset myself never made much sense. It wasn't going to help anything. Hmm. And and then he added the idea that I might actually lose my mom certainly crossed my mind, but for whatever reason, it seemed like a never seemed like a real outcome. Because of that, I didn't feel how I thought I was supposed to feel. Let me put it in quotes. Uh, later, when uh, you were finally in the clear, I looked back and I felt guilty about my prior feelings. I mistook pushing feelings down with not having feelings at all. And I've come to realize that everyone possesses processes things in different ways. So he has expressed to me in the past, he goes, God, I'm sorry, mom, I should have been there for you more. I should have been more present. And I, as much as I've tried to assure him, honey, you were doing exactly what you were supposed to be doing. Right. You know, you were being a teenager. You were helping us when I would go into New York for treatment with your dad. You were helping us you know, uh, with your little sister and giving her dinner and taking her, you know, keeping her occupied. And, uh, and that's what we needed, you know, you to do at Mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. And he also sounds like he was able to live a fairly typical, you know, late teenage life, which is, you know, wonderful. He was, I mean, I think that for both of them, Um, you know, they were at a very important time of their lives, one just about to go off to college and the other one in his second year. So uh, they were busy and they were thinking about the future. And and I think it is very scary when you have a parent uh, diagnosed with a, uh, you know, a very serious disease to Mm -hmm. to not want to go there necessarily. um, Interesting. I mean, that he feels... You know, that he mentioned that he felt he felt guilty later that he sort of missed it, like that he wasn't feeling bad when you were first diagnosed because he was maybe, you know, blissfully unaware. Yeah, he's mentioned that a few times. I, I, you know, I think with maturity comes some sort of responsibility that you feel you should have had as a young person. And, and the truth is, yeah, I mean, yes, of course, everyone should be responsible and accountable as young people, but there's, but you can't fix it and, you know, and you can't really make it uh, go away in any way. You know, you just have to sort of continue to go through uh, what you're feeling every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I think about this, as I talk it through, I, uh, my son wasn't as... Um, open conversationally at that time as he is now Mm -hmm. so even before the diagnosis so you know in many ways you I think people teenagers may not even have the the coping skills or the you know the words and Mm -hmm. to really um, be able to to talk about it until later sure and I also assume that you know because every every teenager is an individual, that some kids feel it very differently. So, you know, your son sounds like he almost was, I don't want to call him a lucky one because his mom had cancer, but um, that he was able to sort of compartmentalize and function well at school and enjoy things. And, you know, as I'm thinking about it, he was also seeing a girl at the time whose mom was a breast cancer survivor. Hmm. So he had seen... Uh, someone come through it. Uh, he yep. didn't know her when she was had been diagnosed. He just knew it was something in her past. 
Yeah. Um, so that was helpful for me as well as I think about that. Sure. And, you know, the funny thing, Mandy, is my mom um, was alive at the time. She was in her 80s. And when I told her, which was so difficult, uh, she, because, I, you know, she was a typical Greek mom and very dramatic. So I knew it would be tough for her to hear. But after she processed it, she said, well, you're not going to tell the kids, are you? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, I, I, I can't, I don't know what you mean, mom. <laughs> And, you know, and she comes from the generation where you whispered the word. Yeah. You know, there was a shame associated with cancer. There was a fear. Uh, I mean, there's still a fear, certainly. But um, and there was that feeling of that if you didn't have to expose your kids to this possible sadness until the last minute, you know, something mm-hmm. happened, um, then why do it? And and she was in particularly talking about my eight year old at the time who was I was, you know, uh, really concerned about because I, I felt that she didn't have another sibling to talk about it with as much. Because her um, brothers were so much older. They were. Uh, and so yeah. when I told her, I, of course, told her, I said, your brothers already know, and daddy, of course, and your teacher at school. And, um, you know, and I gave her the, the uh, permission mm-hmm. to discuss it with, and, you know, I told her the people that would know, and they'd love to talk to you about it. Um, but I have to say that she always came back to me, whatever questions, mm. whatever concerns, whatever. Um, I remember one time in particular, she she walked by um, my bathroom while I was looking in the mirror and I had taken off my wig for the day. And I was I guess I was just about to wash my face and was just sort of, you know, staring at myself for a moment. And uh, and she walked by and then she walked back and she said, Mom, you know, I just want to tell you, I'm so proud of the way you've been handling this cancer. And and so you know it really told me that kids do take on a lot, and I you know I immediately just kind of knelt down and gave her a hug and I said, well you know uh, thank you for saying that, but you really you guys all give me the strength and uh, you know and I'll be okay. Right. Right. Just assuring them I'd be okay. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine having a conversation with your eight year old. When you're so worried about, you know, am I going to make it it's stage three cancer? Um, and then having to tell your eight year old. What was that like? Uh, well, I um, I read her a book, so I haven't seen it lately. I had, I had meant to look for it, but it was a book, uh, a children's book to tell mm-hmm. your child about uh, your cancer. Mm-hmm. And um I should get the name of that book and uh, and I can um, give it to you because I thought it was so helpful. It was actually written and illustrated by a friend of mine who I'd gone to high school with, his mm-hmm. sister-in-law, who had also had breast cancer. And um, and it just talked about, you know, and then we're going to, mommy's going to go get some medicine and then she's going to lose her hair and she'll be bald for a while and she may be tired, you know, spelling out the expectations for a younger child. Yeah. Um, and then at the end saying, you know, and everything I mean, it's always the end, right? That you don't know as, as much as you assure your children and yourself and your mother and your husband that, are, you know, it's all yep. going to be okay. There's always this feeling that you just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I read her the book, I closed the pages. I said, oh, I wanted you to, you know, just see this book if you want to read it. And she jumped up and, yeah, and, you know, and it was written by my mommy's friend's sister-in-law. And, and then when I closed it, I said, so, you know, um, 
mommy has breast cancer as well. And she just started to cry, which surprised me because I didn't know. Again, we hadn't really known anyone who had cancer nor died of cancer. I mean, that was close to us and certainly not in her eight years of life. And I said, well, uh, I said, well, what do you know about cancer? And she goes, not much, but I know it's bad. Oh. And uh, so she had in her feeling, well, from however she'd heard it, well, and I don't know if you remember this, Mandy, but there's a, but this had not happened yet, but there was a teacher during that year that I was diagnosed in their elementary school who was 32 years old and had been diagnosed with um, colon cancer in the fall and had passed away in the spring. Mm. And so um, although, although that hadn't happened yet, I was as that as she was progressing, uh, pro- progressively getting worse and she was so young and it was so tragic and I was just going through treatment and feeling, um, you know, tired and you get into sort of a survivor mode. You just do whatever you need to do. I worked full time at our part time during my treatment um, as a school psychologist in another district. Mm -hmm. And I guess the thing that struck me the most, uh, again, was having time to look at in in terms of uh, giving me perspective is that this disease is just random and unfair. Yeah. And it certainly gives someone like me um, a feeling of gratefulness and thankfulness. And, and even during treatment, I was thankful. I was thankful that I had a husband that was able to come with me to treatment every week. I was thankful that we had insurance that was able to pay for this because when we looked at the bills, I, I was horrified yeah. as what someone would do without that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was really thankful for all the support. And in fact, um, again, in that feeling of wanting to give back, that's uh, where I, um, I met you for the second time, Mandy, <laughs> was when we were both volunteering for this grief, uh, grief counseling program. And we were going through the training and they asked us to talk about loss. And it, although I had lost my father as a teenager and I thought that's what I was going to be ta- talking about through the training, it, it opened up our eyes as to how loss can be so many other things. And uh, yeah. I, ended, I ended up talking about my loss of health mm-hmm. and my diagnosis. And at that point I was in my second year of uh, recovery. Um, but I was very much aware that if, things didn't work out. I wanted somewhere for my daughter to be able to go and, and talk about her grief. And, um, and also if things did work out, I was, um, thankful to be able to be there for other people as well. So how do you think it did work out for your daughter? I mean, it's been 10 years, but what do you remember about that time when she was, you know, eight years old? Did you notice changes? Did you notice you know, good or bad. I mean, this is, it doesn't have to be bad. Um, mm-hmm. But how do you think may... it affected her? Yeah, no, it's a good, good question. So, you know, I would periodically touch base with her third grade teacher um, and she would say she's doing fine and she hasn't really talked to her about it. They did have some grief counseling when the young um, elementary school teacher died in the spring mm-hmm. uh, and Ava did not know her, so uh, although she felt the collective grief of the of the elementary school, she didn't 
she, you know, as I said, I think what was surprising is that she would kind of come back to me and uh, talk to me about what she thought or what she was feeling, but she never really, I think it was more inquisitive. Yeah. She had, you know, she had that initial fear, but uh, after that, she saw me going through it. And I think, um, I, I can't imagine it hasn't changed her. I mean, someone asked me as she, about a year ago, she's now 18. So she was 17. And they said, you know, she's so mature and she's so grounded and she seems to put things in perspective so well. And, and, uh, and you guys have such a great relationship. And, and I thought about it and I said, well, you know, I, you, two people, three people, five people as a family, you know, you can't go through something like that and not have it put things in perspective. Sure. Yeah. Sounds like it might've done that in a good way. Yeah. I mean, you know, no one knows. I mean, the other thing is that she was born a little later than our two uh, sons. So, so there's a maturity level that comes with just uh, being a a third child kind of being raised on, you know, with older parents, I guess, and Mm -hmm. feeling that uh, you are just, you know, you don't necessarily have a lot of the sibling rivalry or any of that stuff that other kids go through. But, um, but I think it's, I think it's certainly made her more sensitive and more aware. Yeah. I also think, you know, it's interesting because your mom had said, you know, you're not going to tell the kids, but (laughs) obviously you did, um, which is, you know, very much, you know, all the research says is the right thing to do at this point. Um, so I think having that initial conversation with her, let her know that you, she can come to you. See, mommy's going to talk to you about it. So you could talk to mommy too. And that's why it's so important that we have these honest conversations with kids, because if we have a secret for that from them, they're going to learn that secrets are what, you know, this is how we communicate in our family. Absolutely. But if you have an open conversation with them, then they know that we can talk about it. Absolutely. I think communication is key. And and it is something that can be somewhat foreign to our parents' generation, um, either because, again, there's either shame involved or there's a protection of the children that they don't want to know. I mean, I, I did. I thought it was funny, particularly for my eight-year-old, because I said, she's going to eventually see me bald. I mean, there's not, yeah. <laughs> there's not a lot of ways I can change that. But, um, but if, even if that weren't the case, uh, as you know from your training and as I know from mine, that it is something that uh, honesty is certainly the best way to deal with something like that. You know, I have to tell you, I'm looking at, my other son, what he wrote, and it and it it is similar. It's just about that. He said, you know, we spoke weekly. He said, I don't remember the call where she told me she was diagnosed. Interestingly, both of the, neither of them remember the call because I had I asked my husband to talk with them, mm-hmm. and uh, and so the call where they learned it for some uh, is not uh, top of mind for them. Yeah. But um, but my oldest says I remember more about the phone call we had the week before. She told me, then I do the big reveal conversation itself. We spoke weekly, uh, but that call was different. I couldn't exactly put my finger on it, but she sounded softer, like her mind was working through a million different ways to solve a problem that I couldn't see. But mm. I could hear it on the other end of the line. I asked if she was feeling okay, and she said she was just tired. So we moved on, and I didn't bring it up again. 
And uh, and then he goes on to say, I didn't know the details, all the details at the time, but I felt inside that something was happening. There's a, that anxious feeling of dread that builds in the pit of your stomach when you know bad news is coming, but aren't sure when or what it will be. Mm. Later, I learned that my mom was herself waiting on the bad news, the news that changes your life forever, that takes you away from us, the non-cancer people, and makes you one of them. She didn't want to worry me 200 miles away from home and at the beginning of a new school year over something that at that point could have still turned out to be nothing. Or maybe she just wanted to have one more innocent chat about meal plans and winter coats before everything changed forever. Mm. That gave me chills. I mean. (laughs) Yeah. And then he, he finishes up. He just says, it's a hopeless feeling when you find out someone you love is fighting cancer. We all know someone who's been through it, and we all hope to never be that person ourselves. But when we talk about it, she said all the things you'd expect. Her tone was confident and optimistic, but I couldn't shake the feeling from the week before, and I knew that no matter how convincingly she was putting on a brave face now, she was still probably scared and unsure and trying to work through the various outcomes in her head. Hmm. So that is a more mature point of view of perhaps what the 8- and 18-year-old were still feeling. And even at this point, I don't know if uh, he would have written it as clearly as he's writing it now. Sure, of course. But he certainly had an awareness. And that's, you know, I mean, yes, he was older, but it so clearly demonstrates why it's so important to tell your kids because they sense it. Exactly. This episode is brought to you by Inner Harbor providing grief support to students and those that support them. Find us at www.inner-harbor.org. He sensed it from 200 miles away. And before I even knew the certainty of the, I, yeah. I think at that point uh, he, I knew of the di- the possible diagnosis, but I didn't know all the details because it mm-hmm. comes to you, you know, little by little as they take more tests. Okay. I don't know that, yeah. but okay. Thank you for you. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you, yeah, you first find out if you're, uh, it's usually if it starts with a lump, then you uh, find out if it's, um, you know, tumor, uh, cancerous or non-cancerous. And then, they have to see if the um, cancer has spread. So that's another operation. And then they have to see if it's gone to lymph nodes. So what makes it a a stage three is when it has uh, traveled to your lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was the case uh, for me. So, so I, I, you know, what was interesting and again, because I didn't know that much about cancer, even when they told me, I thought, well, stage three, I guess that doesn't sound so bad, even though I knew stage four was the final stage. Right. Um, but but I realized it was bad by the tone that people would say it. Oh, no, this is stage three. And so it started to creep into my uh, awareness it, slowly as I continued to move through the process. Uh, mm. Because I, you know, even from the very beginning, I thought, oh, I just had dense breaths and that not something that anybody ever worries about. I've had doctors and uh, gynecologists say to me in the past, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. You have a lump. That's just dense breath. Right. And and the reason it was, again, very random. I had gone to a general practitioner uh, appointment, and it was a woman who my regular doctor wasn't there. So it was a woman who was retiring 
within a few months. And she said, no, well, this feels a little different. I went and I just poo-pooed it. I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to have a mammogram next next month, my yearly mammogram. I'm sure it's just going to be dense breast. You you know, it's just going to be dense tissue, which is what everyone would always say. And, uh, and she said, you know what, in addition to the regular mammogram, I want you to get a diagnostic mammogram. And that was an ultrasound. And that mm-hmm. is what ultrasound it. So, wow. yeah, I've since spoken to so many friends and just, you know, and so many of them say, oh, I have dense breasts or my doctor told me this. And I, you know, and I said, listen, just request an ultrasound. And, um, and oftentimes, uh, more often than not, uh, insurance covers it as well. So. Mm-hmm better to know right right so what do you think you know 10 years ago so your daughter is now 18 I assume Mm -hmm. so how do you I mean obviously it's hard to say because you can't you know you don't get to see her grow up with and without this experience but what do you think was the impact um, of your diagnosis on her yeah you know Mandy um, it's funny because having two boys and going through, um, I have two degrees. I have one in communication and one in a master's in psychology and in EDS and school psychology. And I had been told how t- terrifying it is to have a daughter. Right? I, mean, <laughs> I, I actually became pregnant with her when I was going to the through grad. I turned 40, uh, quit my full-time job in Manhattan to go back to college and became pregnant all within the same year um, wow. with my daughter. So it was a, it was a lovely surprise, but And when I found out she was a girl, we were, of course, all over the moon and it was all very great. But there was a little bit of of something inside of me that, you know, remembered my own uh, tussles with my mother as a teenager and hearing, oh, you know, girls are very different. They can be very tough on you. And um, so as she grew, um, I was very conscious of the fact that you know, I uh, I didn't I I was very conscious of the fact of not uh, of trying not to be gender biased and and mm-hmm. that's something that I think you know we all do even with our boys. Oh well, I'll let him. You know, I'll have, of course, if he wants a Barbie doll, he should have a Barbie doll or, or whatever yes. it is. You know, as they go through the stages. Um, but you know, even as people would say, oh, she, you know, she's so beautiful. As people will, I said, well, she has a very good heart. or you know she's really just a little and I'm like you know and then she's quite smart you know so I I don't know I think uh perhaps that having gone through somewhat of a an education in psychology and also hearing these like horror stories from some mothers about what happens (laughs) in middle school or what happens I am very fortunate to feel that um we were really friends uh, but not friends in a way that she knew. Of course, she had barriers, but we communication was always open. Mm. Um, and and uh, yeah, I can't imagine that this did not have. I mean, if you can talk to me, I'm sure she thinks if she, if my mom can tell me this and talk to me honestly about how she feels. I mean, granted, with an optimistic twist, but mm. um, but what was happening very plainly then. Uh, I can talk to her about anything as well. Right. Lucky. I mean, you know, that piece of it uh, may have helped to create, you know, the close relationship that you have because you had an opportunity that many of us don't have to have a very frank conversation that teaches our kids that we can talk about really difficult things. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing it did for me, Mandy, is although my husband and I had decided why I was going to go back to school and get the second degree and the second education, and uh, and this came about three years in as I was working as a school psychologist uh, at another district. And although I worked, I thought, you know, oh, it's fine. I'll work part-time and I'll get treatment and then I'll be fine. You know, I looked down at my daughter and I thought, I could be gone in two years. And what am I doing? You know, what is that saying? No one ever put on their tombstone. I wish I'd spent more time at work. Right. You know, it very much made me aware that, um, again, as a potentially terminal diagnosis will, we are on this earth for a very limited period of time. So uh, it is important to tell the people that you love, that you love them. And it, yeah. and um, and I did find myself with Ava every time, even as the years went on, every um, action that we would, not every action, but many times things would become lessons. Like I, I knew I wanted to give her uh, something in case I wasn't there next year. I, I was sort of condensing it all into the next several years because I didn't know if she would have me into her teenage years or into her college years. So she probably did get a lot more mom than <laughs> perhaps she even wanted. But, but you know, I, I, so I, we were, again, fortunate that I was able to um, stop working yep. for a while and I, and I volunteered. But I, even the practical stuff, Mandy, like, you know, when we would go into the city to go to a, a museum or something, I'd say, okay, so New York is on a grid. And if you're ever up here, you know, like I would think to when she's older, I might not get a chance to tell her this when she's 17 or 18 and she goes into New York. So I got to tell her now. Right. So she passed it away. And uh, I, I, I should ask her sometime if she was actually aware that I was doing that. But, um, right. you know, it could have something to do with it as well. Mm-hmm. So how is she doing... I don't want to make it all about her, but, you know, she's now a freshman in college. So how is she doing? Was it, um, you know, she basically grew up, at least for a lot of her childhood as a single child, um, with a mom who was sick. So what was it like for her to go away to college? Um, Well, she, so it's been an interesting year, right? I mean, uh, the, the high school seniors of this, of 2020, um, did not have a prom and they did not really have a graduation and they did not have a spring semester where they all got to, you know, slack yeah. off. And, uh, and, uh, and it's, and it's interesting because even, um, I've heard people ask her, well, how does that feel? How does that feel? You, uh, you know, you've missed all, you know, half of your senior year. And, she, and her response would be, well, there's a global pandemic going on. So, I mean, yeah, it's sad, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not, you know, yes. so again, <laughs> did that maturity come from her experience when 10 years prior, or is it something right. that, you know, it certainly, again, helps you. I mean, people are dying out there, you know, so she was yeah. very, and she wouldn't say it mockingly. She'd literally say it like, I appreciate you asking, but yeah, I'm, I'm okay. You know, right. I have some perspective. She does, you know, she really does. And uh, and the irony is that although it took away a lot uh, from her senior year, her spring semester senior year, I mean, I loved it. <laughs> the silver lining of the of the pandemic. I mean, we, we cooked all the time. We learned to make pasta. And, you know, she kidded over. She goes, boy, I, you know, we're lucky we like each other, you know, three of us. Yeah. 
I, you know, I mean, so many families are going through so many, um, with such a wide range of experiences with this pandemic yes. for sure. And we're very much, you know, aware of that. She is, she's a young activist, you know, she is much more aware and in tune. The boys, you know, they grew up at a different time. We were both working full time. We were both younger parents. Uh, there wasn't as much happening in the world. I mean, Ava is very sensitive. She received um, a check from a random aunt. You know, she didn't really didn't we didn't really have any graduation parties or anything in general. We, I, don't, I don't remember having anything for the boys anyway. But <laughs> but she immediately um, she was immediately touched by it and said to us, "I would like to donate this to Black Lives Matter." And then she mm-hmm. you know looked up organizations and um, and decided which ones were best. And she uh, you know and she. She, she understood that she was uh, part of a uh, of a privileged population. I, th- I yep. think that that's something that's. I, I think that in conjunction with what perhaps she went through when she was younger, and then what's been happening in the world today, it's a very different outlook for young kids. Yeah, that are mm-hmm. listening. Right. <laughs> yep. So I wonder if you have any. Um, I don't know if advice is the right word, but, you know, things that you felt like this was really good that I did this, or I wish I had done this differently, or I wish I got support, uh, you know, from the schools or, you know, just to other parents that might be listening that could be going through similar challenges. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, as I said, I think communication is key. Mm -hmm. Uh, are open enough with your children, even if they don't want to talk about it at the time, and that's okay too. They will. They need to process it, and yeah. uh, and and maybe you're not the person that they talk to about it. I remember that her third grade teacher was particularly concerned because she felt she wasn't coming to her, and she must be holding it all in, and and so she would ask her all the time, you know, and uh, and I don't know if that drove Ava to not necessarily wanting to discuss it with her as much, but rather with someone who just wouldn't be so intense about it. Yeah. Her third grade teacher also happened to be very close to the teacher who died. Mm. So she was going through her own grief and she right. would sometimes call me, you know, and we'd start off talking about Ava, but then it would really all be about, she just wanting, you know, understandably yeah. to talk about uh, losing her colleague, her young, yeah. you know, uh, friend. Mm-hmm. So, so it, so it's a fine line, I would say, in terms of opening up the pathways to communicate and talk, but not pushing it. Yeah, because pushing it can can definitely uh, make them go the other way. Right. And I, you know, and and as you said, kids are individual. I mean, it's different for every kid. Yeah. How informed did you? I mean, obviously, you told her teacher, but how informed did you keep her about? You know. She was in third grade, so it's not like she was in 10th grade where she might have like a big test the next day, like the day after you had a chemo treatment or something. But like, you know, how often would you communicate with the teacher to let her know what's going on with you? And did you feel like that was important? So I let her know before I let Ava know to uh, to let her to tell her that I was going to be telling her about this diagnosis. And I um, and then I just said, if you see, you know, just so that, you know, if you see anything at school that concerns you or if there's a, you know, if there's sadness and she said, no, thank you for letting me know. I'll, I'll keep an eye on her. I, I won't say that we talked frequently. I mm-hmm. didn't, I don't even remember necessarily advising her of all this, 
stages or, or, or whatnot. But, you know, if I'd go pick her up, I mean, she might notice I was wearing a wig. She, I noticed that, again, she began to call me more often as the colleague progressed and, right. um, and, and then passed away because uh, she was, again, she was really grieving. It was really tough for her. I mean, I oftentimes felt for her third grade teacher um, more so than, you know, than the kids because the kids can compartmentalize. Yeah. And I, I also felt this guilt if I were to be truthful. I mean, I was 48, but this teacher was 32. And again, that, that weird randomness of cancer. Well, why at, why should someone so young be taken away from her daughter who was a toddler and I'm not, or, or am I, you know, there's no, there's no linear path to who gets cancer and who survives and who doesn't. And, um, it's, I think that's what makes it scary. It's not, it's definitely not cut and dry. No, no. So how are you coping now? I mean, it's, it is the middle of a global pandemic. Um, and, you know, we could say it's been 10 years, but it's, it's been 10 years. So, <laughs> you know, it, you could say it's a good thing that, you know, you've, you've made it this far, which obviously it is a good thing, but it's 10 years of, you know, potentially worrying and tests and follow-up appointments and things. So mm-hmm. how do you, how are you coping now? Yeah, thank you. I mean, I do feel that I feel mostly gratitude. I mean, again, I, I truly, you know, I think the, the irony of the situation is that I never thought I'd see Ava graduate, um, or I wasn't sure if I'd see her graduate because of my cancer diagnosis, but uh, it was actually because of COVID, and I am still here, so I'm happy that I'm here for that. I, you know, as we were talking about Ava, again, it puts things in perspective for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I think... Uh, when you talk about loss and you talk about a loss of health, of your health, that nagging feeling, that sudden twinge in your, you know, in your shoulder or your arm or your breast or your, you know, that never goes away because then you think, well, you know, you don't think about it as often 10 years later, but it, I can't say that it goes away, that you wonder mm-hmm. if and when come back and, um, and, there's no real, there has to be an acceptance and there has to be this feeling that um, I have a gift of being here now and having been here uh, for the past 10 years and, uh, and I will continue to, to do what I've always felt that I should do and mm-hmm. tell the people that I love them. I love them, you know, every day and, and be good to people and contribute as much as you can to, you know, to society and, and just, uh, and be, you know, try to be positive. And mm-hmm. uh, it, so the pandemic, I think, has highlighted, uh, of course, one of the things that I, um, I read recently was that, you know, although one in eight women get breast cancer, the uh, percentage of women who die from breast cancer uh, are that are a minority is much higher than mm. a white and I just thought, Jesus, you know, and it, it's always this um, this unfairness in society that is being revealed even, you know, more openly as we've lived through this pandemic that, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, whether it's because of lack of health care or, or uh, just uh, tendency to not go to the doctor as early, it, uh, it shouldn't be the case. Right. So um, is there anything else that you wanted to cover that you thought people should know or you wanted to communicate to people? No, I think just the most important thing is to uh, to reach out, to, to not be embarrassed or ashamed to reach out. I, mm-hmm. I was a little bit in the beginning, but as I talked to various friends, they all knew someone who knew someone. And so I found myself having conversations with perfect strangers and I hung up the phone and I felt lighter because mm-hmm. I had been diagnosed maybe three or four months earlier, whereas they were talking to me five and seven years in and eight years. And I'm like, okay, this can this is going to yep. be okay. Just, you know, yep. I just found that so important. And I think, again, the reach for recovery uh, through the American Cancer Society is a good organization. And uh, also remember uh, to talk to your medical provider about your own diagnostic uh, tools because yep. it is very, very individual and very important. Absolutely. How can they reach out to you, Maria, if they, have, if they want to talk or have questions? Yeah, they can always email me um, at mcboys, B-O-Y-E-S, all one word, uh, at verizon.net. Thank you so much, Maria, for sharing your story with us. I know it will validate the experience of many people going through cancer with children of their own. And if you need additional support talking to your children of any age, please reach out to Inner Harbor at www.inner-harbor.org. Thank you also to Stephen Bluestein for audio production. Next week's podcast is with guest Lisa Williams. She's the co-founder of the grief community called What's Your Grief? She's a social worker in the field, been in the field for about 12 years, and previously worked in homeless services in Baltimore, Maryland. Before founding What's Your Grief, Lisa supported patients and families in the hospital at the end of life in circumstances of very unexpected deaths and provided ongoing grief and bereavement support in the years following that loss as the Director of Family and Community Services for the Living Legacy Foundation of Maryland. She has tons of experience that we're going to talk about, but she's actually going to share more of her own personal story with the loss of her dad when she was in college. I'm really excited to have her, and I hope that you'll join us next week. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.